0: Well, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Let me invite you to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. Uh, if you'd like to follow along with us this evening, and uh, as you spend a little bit of time in God's Word, and uh, I hope that you'll be encouraged as we think about what our Lord has done for us uh, this Christmas Eve. I think one of the, one of the challenges, perhaps uh, for you as it is for me, on Christmas time is to be able to capture the wonder and the glory of Christmas when it's so familiar to us. It's almost as the familiarity of it makes us somewhat immune to its majesty. And, and, and we're going to consider a very familiar text uh, this evening, just as, as we've heard very familiar text read for for us. And I I don't know if it's a state of my life. Uh, or, or if you're anything like me, but I, some of these verses I can't hear without hearing the voice of Linus, right? And, uh, you know, it, this is kind of our, the culture that we have. And so uh, what we want to do is be able to work hard to discover, once again, uh, a new and uh, a fresh way, the glory of what we have heard of tonight. I've heard of one pastor who was visiting a family who uh, lived about 10 feet from a train, train track. And he was visiting with them there and and suddenly heard a big boom and then a big whoosh and a big tumble and he jumped out of his seat uh, totally startled and and there was a 10-year-old boy sitting there and he said, what was that? And the boy said, what was what? And he said, how do you sleep through that? And the boy said, sleep through what? The, The enormity of the sound had become so dull due to the proximity in which they lived. We don't want that to happen. I don't know, maybe maybe you've heard it, hopefully you have. There's been a lot of bangs and whooshes in God's Word read for us tonight. We don't want to sleep through it, do we? And so may God help us to hear the wonder. as we, What we try to do, really two things tonight as we spend just a little bit of time in His Word. One, really, once again, understand what Christmas is about. And number two, understand how we can respond to it. I want to consider uh, this wonderful passage in Luke's Gospel, Luke chapter 2. If you were here on Sunday, as as, uh, maybe half of you were, um, uh, by the way, welcome visitors, we're delighted to have you. Uh, uh, But we we considered how Luke presented the birth of Jesus, and really he ended in in what we we thought to be a rather mundane way, there in verse 7 when he said, "...and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn." And it's at this point that Luke pivots from the stable and takes us out to the fields nearby where we read in verse 8, and in the same region there were shepherds out in the flock keeping watch, uh, out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. I trust this was a uh, normal evening for shepherds, doing whatever shepherds do in the middle of the night, perhaps warming themselves by the fire or telling stories Until, that is, verse 9 occurs, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them. They were greeted by an angel, and it was very clear to them, evidently, that this wasn't uh, one of the guys. For we read on, and we see this glorious description when it says, And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. Great fear. The King James says, they were sore afraid. They were so scared it hurt, I guess. And there they are. The angel comes and he wants to greet them by explaining to them what Christmas is about. So the angels will tell us what Christmas is. The shepherds will show us how we're to respond. So consider, first of all, uh, the, the Christmas proclamation from the, from the angels as they, they say in verse 10, And the angel said to them, Fear, fear not. For I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Fear not, they say. We don't come with news of judgment. We don't come with tidings of condemnation. We come with good news. What is that news? Well, he explains in that very familiar verse, in verse 11, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. A child is born... A son is given. And the angel goes on to describe him in three ways. The Savior, the Christ, and the Lord. The only time in all of Scripture, by the way, all three of those titles will be put together in, in, a, in a single incidence. They describe the one who is born as the Christ. The, in Hebrew, the Messiah, the anointed one who God had promised for century after century after century, this one is coming. They go on to say he's not just the Christ, the promised one, but he is the Lord. Now, that may seem pretty uh, generic to you, but if you're familiar with Luke's writings up to this verse, he has already used the term, or the title, I should say, Lord, 20 different times. Every single time referring to God himself. And now, for the 21st time he uses it, he describes not God in heaven... As the Lord, but this baby here, he is the Lord. The baby is the Lord. He is God in the flesh. That is when we look into the face of Jesus, we look into the face of God. <laughs> Lastly, he described as a Savior. He is a Savior. In fact, that's how they begin, isn't it? For unto you is born a Savior. A Savior has been born. And it's here, really, we get to at the heart of the Christmas message. Really, the heart of Christianity. That Christianity is not, like some have suggested, a a way of becoming a moral person. Though I hope it does that for us. Christianity is not about getting a little direction in life, a little boost, help in in times of trouble. Christianity is not by following a good example of this man named Jesus. No, the Christmas message is... A Savior has been born, one who would come to save us from our sins. As the angel would tell uh, Joseph, you shall call him Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. It was about 100 years ago that the the great uh, Chicago preacher Dwight Moody was preaching at a very large New York prison. The warden invited him, asked him, in fact, to come and, and to preach to the inmates. Well, they didn't have an amphitheater or some place where they could hold all the prisoners, so they set up kind of a platform for him in front of a large tier of cells. And it was an awkward way to preach because the cells lined either walls, and Moody was there at the end of this the very large enclosure, and he couldn't see a single person's face while he preached. And so he preached uh, the gospel the best as he knew how, and afterwards he asked the warden if he could visit with some of the inmates. He said, sure. And so he began to walk from cell to cell and ask them what they thought of his message. He discovered that most of them weren't listening. In fact, they would get on to talk about their life, and it seemed like many of them, Moody said, um, wanted to use this opportunity to declare their innocence. The jury was prejudiced. It was mistaken identity. My lawyer was incompetent and all the rest. He was getting rather discouraged. As he wrote, I began to get discouraged, but when I had gone almost through, I found one man, his elbows on his knees, and two streams of tears running down his cheek. I looked in the little window and said, my friend, what is your trouble? He looked up with despair on his face, saying, my sins are more than I can bear. Moody responded, thank God for that. Thank God for that. Why? Why would someone thank God that their sins are more than they can bear? Well, that's the message of Christmas. A Savior has been born. If you don't know the weight of your sin like this man seemed to do, then you, with news that I'm declaring to you this evening that a Savior has been born, you might think, well, who cares? Right? I mean, who, who, who wants a Savior? What's for dinner? Right? When's this guy going to be done? But if the Bible is true, and I believe it is, that the wages of sin are death, that we are separated by our sin from a holy of God, then the news that a Savior has been born is the greatest of all imaginable news. So Merry Christmas to you. A Savior has been born. In fact, you notice they describe for whom? Don't, Don't read over this little phrase there in verse 11. He says, for unto you, unto you. It's not just that a savior has come, but a savior has been given to you. It's almost as if the angels taking one of those big, big Christmas tags. You know, it says to shepherds from God and slapping it on the manger. Right? He, he, he is for you. And, and this, of course, if, if it weren't so familiar, would be the last people that we expect that a savior would be born for. Right? I mean, we, we might expect to to read. Now, the, in the same regions, there were scribes keeping watch over their scrolls by night. Or there were Pharisees keeping watch over their rituals. Or there were kings and generals keeping watch over their, their servants. But that's not what we read, of course. We read that there were shepherds. Shepherds were, were the kind of low class of society. They, they were mostly illiterate. These were jobs that children could do. No, one, no, no child thought, you know, when I grow up, I want to be a shepherd okay? That's, that's not the job you aim for. That's the job you end up with. And the fact that God says, listen, the Savior is for you, shows us once again, and Luke is very keen to point this out, that God's favor does not correlate to our earthly status. And that, that's good news for us. Perhaps you've heard it said that Episcopalians are just Presbyterians with a family tree, and Presbyterians are just Methodists with money, and Methodists are just Baptists with an education. In other words, no one aims to be a Baptist, right? It's kind of what we end up. No one says, I want to be a Baptist one day, but here we are, isn't it? Well, that's good news then because God loves to find the set aside and the disregarded and those who lack power and influence. And he says to them, I am here for you. A Savior has been born unto you. And not just the shepherds, by the way. They are very clear, aren't they? Don't miss this in verse 10 when they say, the angel says, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. And so what started on the hills of Bethlehem? some 2,000 years ago, continues in the, in the village of Hamilton in 2019 as the Savior continues to do his saving work. Well, as these angels, so this angel announces he is the Savior, Christ the Lord, a marvelous thing happens, doesn't it? Note verse 13, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God. It's almost as if as he declares these truths to these shepherds, like the pressure is building in heaven, like a volcano's pressure is building, and finally it gets too much, and the worship out of heaven just erupts. And the angels come flooding down to this hillside in order that they might praise God. Suddenly, Luke says, all of a sudden heaven breaks out. We're told it is a multitude of angels. How many is a multitude? We don't know. We don't know. I like to think it's every single angel in heaven. Everyone didn't want to miss this night. In fact, twice in the Bible, besides this passage, we are, we are told about the heavenly host. Both other times, they are in heaven, surrounding the throne of God, with God sitting upon his throne. This will be the only time in which we will see the heavenly host... Uh, here on earth why do they come well it seems to me that god has left the throne in heaven and is now enthroned in a manger and so the angels follow with their worship can you imagine what that sight might have been like i mean if one angel is terrifying how about ten thousand? can you imagine the sound the thunderous praise of the heavenly chorus singing out i mean i love our choir but man that would be incredible as they declare this great news, what do they sing? Verse 14, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom He is pleased. What glorious tidings they bring. So how then do the shepherds respond? And, and to, more to the point, how then should we respond? I mentioned briefly just four responses of the shepherds. We'll move through quickly. The first response is you see that the shepherds pursue God. They pursue God. For verse 15 tells us, When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste. So the angels have left, the glory is faded, the night once again is silent, and the shepherds are left alone looking at each other, and what do they say? Well, that was a pretty impressive, you know, you know, what's for dinner? No, they, they say, let's go and find this. You see, they believed and therefore sought after the Savior. Now the, the question that I want to know is how do they find him? How do, how do they find this baby? There is just one clue that the, the angel gave him, uh, and they, they said that uh, you'll find him wrapped in swaddling cloths, and he'll be uh, lying in a manger, right? You, you want to you make sure you find the right baby. He's the one in the feeding trough. And these shepherds must have thought, what kind of mother is this? I mean, what is going on? And yet off they go. In fact, Luke tells us they go with haste, enthusiasm, eagerness, as one author put it, They took off running, leaping the low Judean fences and entering the enclosure wide-eyed and panting. They searched the stalls and quickly found the new mother and her baby among the animals. And it's there we see their second response. They proclaimed God. They not only pursued after God, they proclaimed Him. For the Bible tells us in verse 16, And they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning the child. I mean, could you imagine there Joseph and Mary and baby Jesus perhaps sharing an intimate moment just hours after the birth and in come uh, running these out-of-breath Smelly, gruffy shepherds barging into their stall. You could, could, at least in my mind's eye, see Joseph standing up and getting in between his wife and his child, and and these men, you know, say, "Hey, this this stall is filled. You know, go to find another barn. Uh, get out of here." And yet the, the shepherds come and they they tell them, according to verse seventeen, what they have seen. I mean, what kind of conversation would that have been like? Excuse me, sir. I'm sorry to bother uh, you this late in the night, but I don't know if you realize the baby right there in the feeding trough is the savior of the world. And they went on, the Bible says, and they shared what they've seen. They explained to them what the angel had told them. And you could imagine, couldn't you, Mary then going on saying, well, I know I may have met the same angel when he told me I was going to have a child nine months ago. And Joseph piping in saying, well, I was going to divorce her. And then I was dreaming. And an angel came and said, no, you need to take Mary to be your wife and name this son Jesus. And and on they go and they begin to share with one another what God had done, speaking about what the Lord had told them. And I think these shepherds don't, didn't simply tell to Mary and Joseph. Look what it says in verse 18. And all who heard it, all who heard it, wondered at what the shepherds told them. They didn't stop talking about this. They continued to speak about it. Even though it might, it might be somewhat of an embarrassing message. I mean, you could imagine someone summarizing this and saying, okay, wait a second. You saw a bunch of angels, and then you went and found a carpenter and his teenage wife and a, and a baby in a feeding trough, and you're telling me that that's the Messiah, right? Is that, is that it? Yeah. Yeah, that's it. That's what we're telling you. And yet, the potential embarrassment of such a story didn't seem to stop them. I wonder, will it stop you? My Christian brother and sister, will you, will you proclaim Christ, in particular this Christmas season? I think Christmas is a chance to talk about Jesus. You will undoubtedly be asked, almost 90% of you will be asked this question, how was your Christmas? How was your Christmas? How are you going to answer? It was fine. It was hectic. Uncle Lenny got drunk again, right? Maybe you, maybe you put some forethought in it and you, you answer something like, you know, it was glorious. Because I was reminded once again that a Savior has been born, and oh, how I need a Savior. In fact, such news just makes me want to praise Him. Which you notice is the third response of the shepherds. They pursued God, proclaimed God, and they praised God. For verse 19 tells us, But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. First we come and see, then we go and tell, all the while glorifying and praising God along the way. They praised him. Will you praise God tomorrow? on Christmas Day, amidst all the feasting and all the, you know, uh, presents and all the family, will there be any time tomorrow as you gather together that there will be some praise of God, that you will give Him glory for what He has done? If we follow the shepherds, we might be led there, for they praised God. Lastly, if you will, they persevered with God persevered with God. A little phrase there in verse 20, and the shepherds returned. So where do they return? Right? To start a tour of Bethlehem. Right? Come see where the Messiah was born. No. They returned to their flocks. Right? They went back to work, which is kind of, kind of, a, a, kind of a letdown. Right? Because you have this incredible news, this incredible transformation, and what happens? You still have to go back to work. Right? And Christmas will be over in just a day or so, and you will go back to work, won't you? We'll all go back to our lives, our normal life. Well the question is, is is how will you go back? Will you go back any different? Because it's easy, isn't it, to focus on Jesus while he's in the manger every December 25th. It's easy to glorify the Lord at Christmas. But what do you do when you go back to your flocks? What do you go do when you, when you go back to the office? So what do you do when, you, when the tree is put away and the lights are taken down and you go back? Do you go back like these shepherds proclaiming and glorifying the Lord himself for all that you have seen and heard? They will. The Bible tells us. I think they do because of the peace they now have with him. Did you notice that, that, that little Christmas carol that the angels sang? Just two little, two little verses. Glory to God in the highest, they begin. Or as John puts it, the word became flesh, referring to Jesus. The word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory. The glory is of the only Son from the Father. You see, we, we have the glory of God not, not in the fiery clouds that we saw in the days of Moses or in the, in the marble temples we saw in the days of Solomon or, or in some act of, of great power and might as we see throughout the scripture, but the glory of God in the, ba- in the baby because God would become man and remain God at the same time forever. The glory of God seen in a perfect life lived in obedience to ...to God's law, loving God with all his heart and soul and strength, loving his neighbor as himself. The glory of God in the, the crucifixion when this, when this baby will grow up and, and be nailed to a cross... ...bearing the wrath of God for the sins in which I have committed... ...and the sins in which you have committed, paying the penalty for it. Glory, glory of God three days later when the, when the stone is rolled away and the tomb is empty... ...for he is alive, paving the way into eternal life for all who would trust on him... In fact, that's what he's come to do. He's come to, as the angel saying in the second verse, that he's come to bring peace. And peace on earth, they sing. That is not a song often sung by angels. If you, in fact, you read the scripture, maybe you plan to read the Bible through in a year, as I, I hope to do in 2020. You'll Probably January 1st, you'll get to Genesis chapter 3, and you'll see that man has chosen to rebel against a holy and good God. And therefore, there is separation between the two. The angel shows up, doesn't he, not to sing about peace, but with a fiery sword to separate man from this great God. And since that day, there had not been peace between God and man. A Savior now comes, the angels sing, to bring that peace. And not the peace of warming your heart at Christmas time, but salvation, peace. He has come, Jesus has come to end the war between God and man. And so a peace they sing, peace on earth, but who is it for? We'll finish their song and we'll be done. For those with whom he is pleased. Peace on earth among those with whom he is pleased. Asking the question, I pray, would be on all of our hearts. How can we please this God? Perhaps you might think, well, it's keeping the religious rituals that he lays out. Maybe you think it's about being good and a moral person, doing what is right. All those things are nice, but none of them will please Him. We please Him, the Scripture tells us unequivocally, simply by trusting in Him. The biblical word for that is faith. By placing our faith in Him. For the Bible says in Romans 5, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. My prayer all week has been that some would place their faith in the Lord. This Lord who has come to give His life that you and I and these shepherds long ago might have peace with God if you would believe. Will you pray with me as we ask God to do that work in our hearts? Our Father in heaven, what a glorious, glorious day this was. And indeed, it's glorious tonight to reconsider. And Father, we pray that you would work a a great joy in our hearts as you did in in the shepherds' lives, that we too would be changed because of what we know about Christmas. That we too would seek after you with greater earnestness and proclaim you to those who need to hear you, praising you along the way as we persevere with you day by day. And I pray for those here who perhaps are, are here because family invited them and yet do not have a relationship with you. I pray that they would know even this very moment that Jesus Christ has his hands extended to them to offer them grace and mercy because of his death and resurrection. And that they too might know peace with a holy God if they would yield their life in faith and trust in the Lord Jesus. And Father, now as we come to the supper meal, We're reminded of why Jesus came. We're reminded of what kind of Savior he is. He is a Savior who came to shed his blood and to break his body, that he might bear the wrath of a holy God for sinners such as I and countless others. And so we rejoice this Christmas Eve, knowing the work of our Lord on our behalf. Help us to do so as we prepare our hearts for this supper meal.